What's up, everyone? Thanks for tuning in to the Mishmash Podcast. Today, I have my first three-time defending uh, champion guest, Mike English, coming back to round out the summer trifecta of our music discussion. Our never-ending, constantly meandering, uh, but incredibly entertaining and uh, fulfilling musical discussion. At least to us, it's entertaining. That's it. <laughs> and that's really all that counts. <laughs> yeah. If, listen, if, if I can entertain myself, I've already succeeded for the day. Exactly. It's funny. The kids have been into music since they were in, in diapers. I mean, it's it's just something that they, they couldn't help but grow up around. But what's interesting now is they're beginning to sort of branch out and do their own things. Uh, I don't know how it happened. I may have mentioned this the last time because I think it was beginning back then. But they, my littler two, Sarah and Jackson, are huge Taylor Swift fans. And I know this because I was sitting in the living room one night. And do you guys have like an Apple TV? Have you ever seen that? I, I We have. Um, well, no, I don't have an, an Apple TV, but I mean, I get Apple TV on my TV. <laughs> right. So, so it's, you know, integrated into the phone and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And so I have mine set to be like the secondary remote. And so if, if someone turns one of the devices on and starts to search for something, it pops up on mine. So I use this as the giant <laughs> child that I am to mess with them, you know, and start changing their searches and stuff. But I, I, it was, it comes up with Jackson's, you know, uh, Apple TV and I look and all of a sudden he starts typing like Tay Tay's hottest hits or some, something like silly like that. And I was just like, wow, I'm not going to, I'm too stunned to mess with this. <laughs> and I went in there and sure enough, him, him and Sarah were having it on his background music when they Tay-tay. were doing Tay Tay. That's her, that's her nickname. Her nickname is, is okay. Tay Tay. So, th- but it's so <laughs> funny because they will vacillate from Taylor Swift to Billy Joel to Slipknot to all kinds of, you know, crazy stuff. But it's interesting, you know, that a lot of it, especially the Taylor Swift stuff, they've just come to on their own. Like, it's not like they're not old enough to be a part of, like, the craze. I'm it's assuming popular. there's a craze. No, yeah. Oh, she's huge all over the world, it seems now. A fact that I don't understand. But then again, you know, I'm 67. Right. Oh, I'm not supposed to get Taylor Swift, I think. But it's interesting, too. Well, and, and that's just it. So I'm curious because the only songs I know from her are the like the really early ones where it was she must have been what 16 the, mm. the teardrops on my guitar and the tim mcgraw song unless right. that's the same one again it sh- shows how little i know about yeah. her music well, and i know less but but i'm not averse <laughs> to it and that's and that's the thing right like it, i've always been curious where my kids are concerned in terms of the musical rebellion right like i feel like i know for me i didn't necessarily rebel against my parents with music but i definitely began to explore heavier <laughs> stuff. And then rap and hip hop was big in, in Brooklyn at the time. Hmm. So I was listening to things that they would absolutely have no interest in whatsoever. Yeah. I, but, I think that's kind of universal because uh, well, I'm from the early rock and roll years and my parents could not stand that music. They're like, what the hell is this? Shit just a got? bunch of noise. Yeah, exactly. It's all it was was noise, of course. But there was that cultural generational gap there. And I'm curious to see with my kids, it's going to be tougher. Put it this way. It's going to be tougher for them when their father listens to like Mongolian throat singing and, you know, hybrid uh, Rastafarian, whatever to find something that I wouldn't be interested in, you know, like that you, that you find tasteless. Right. Exactly. And so, I mean, and I don't get the sense that Taylor Swift is that, but, but it's no. funny because I am curious about exploring some of her other stuff more from a musical standpoint, because I don't think she gets, 
a ton of credit for being a singer songwriter. I know, I know that probably sounds ludicrous to some people, but uh, in the same way that like, you know, Adele or Ed Sheeran or some of these other (laughs) artists, you know, I know Adele writes with other people. She has Mm -hmm. songs written for her. Ed Mm -hmm. Sheeran writes a lot of his stuff with other people. And so with Taylor Swift, I feel like it's sort of the same thing, but maybe recently there's been a, a a shift a little bit in terms of the amount of respect she gets tied to her popularity. I don't know. All I know is I appreciate singer songwriters a little more just knowing like, I don't know, there's just something intimate to me about writing my own song, putting my own lyrics to it, writing the own Mm -hmm. melody. I don't understand like Diane Warren who writes, you know, 7,000 hits that are all amazing songs, but I can't imagine being one of those artists and coming in and taking her song. Her songs and, you know. Yeah. And and I I think I agree in that there's obvious talent there because she is writing a lot of her own material. I mean, it to me, it's just pop, but still, it, it is talent. I mean, and, and an artist that I just thought of, you're talking about, Carol King wrote so many songs that she just gave away. Right. Before she got the courage, the nerve to you know, put herself in front of the microphone and sing on herself because she's fantastic. And still. So I I guess I can walk my statement back a little bit in the sense that I understand when an artist has an established song and then someone else provides their rendition of it and makes it their own, right? So Mm -hmm. even saying in that same realm, how do I live? I think 99% of people associate that with Leanne Rimes, but it was a Trisha Yearwood song. Um, Mm -hmm. And... There are just so many instances. Uh, <laughs> Hurt is my favorite Nine Inch Nails song. Johnny Cash covered that and and did so such a different approach to it mm-hmm. that it's almost like two completely different songs. And then there's other instances. I don't know. Um, oh, is it Patti Smith? Uh, Bruce Springsteen wrote Because the Night. And there was some sort of, I don't know if it was a contract dispute. There was some issue that prevented him from recording and releasing it. And so he gave it to... Oh, was it Patty Smith or Natalie Merchant, maybe? I think it was Patty Smith. It was Patty Smith, Patty right? Smith. And, and that's odd because he did eventually release it as well. Right. And oddly enough, <laughs> I was at the Hazlitt Pool Club the other day and listening to, they had CBS, you know, 101 on their radio there that they play in the park. And I heard a cover of Peter Frampton's Baby, I Love Your Way. And I was like, just so upset i'm like no <laughs> was it the big mountain version i don't know no it wasn't peter frampton i don't know who it was that was singing it but it you know it was it was a woman and i'm like no 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 right. this is just just can't happen blasphemy. this is blasphemy yes <laughs> blasphemy i say <laughs> right and and so it's funny there are certain songs that it's just sort of verboten to ever imagine them mm-hmm. being covered and altered yeah, forget about that because that's the thing right there's two ways i think we've we discussed this briefly once before but like uh it's funny my kids cannot stand covers i don't know why it's it's like a hard stance that they i have, can understand that shaking their fists at the clouds <laughs> i can remember i don't remember the exact year it was in the 1990s uh but i was at the now defunct twa terminal at jfk and in an elevator the first time I heard Stairway to Heaven as Muzak. Oh. And I was just... Oh. <laughs> I, I think I almost had a heart attack. <laughs> just, no, this just can't be. But 
uh, I guess it happens to every song eventually. Yeah. Like, like, and we have discussed this. There are but eight notes, <laughs> and you can only have so many songs. So somebody's got to cover it eventually. Right, and this is a, a point of contention specifically with, <clears throat> with Jackson, who, as the youngest member here, you know, you would think wouldn't have such developed takes on music, but he's not a fan of live versions of songs, not counting being at a concert, like mm-hmm. on the radio. Right. And he's not a fan of covers. And I get it. I, I am a huge fan of, you know, the original recordings of whatever it happens to be. Because you have to think, like, that becomes the, you know, the genesis moment. That's the default part mm-hmm. of the song. But what I try to explain to him is things will sound different live, but that's okay. Like, I've yeah. we've heard certain covers where they're missing a key instrument or, mm-hmm. you know, it's just not the same delivery, which is which is one thing that I hate so much i remember seeing the google Goo dolls at <laughs> jones beach ten dollar tickets it was great right <laughs> he didn't sing the choruses for half of the major hits and then the other half he was like syncopating the rhythm so if you were trying to sing along you you couldn't you because, got lost yeah <laughs> and jacob dylan was another one jacob dylan and johnny resnick both you did had that. told me about jacob oh, changing the words to yeah. the songs and, and it's, yeah like so i i understand it from that side but what i explained to jackson especially where like the foo fighters are concerned is sometimes when you have the song live you get a special something new that would never be there in the mm-hmm. recorded version right, as a rule i i actually prefer live recordings because i think it's as the song was really meant to be you know you you don't get to dub it three times over and add you know six more guitars or whatever but it it's bare it's that's how it should be and 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 not only that i think that i i can come to this more from a writing standpoint early on any writer i would think is you know lacks a certain degree of self-confidence and so my problem with the first two books that I wrote was that I rewrote them incessantly. Like, and, and that's the problem too with being able to self-publish is you need to develop that ability to sort of constrain yourself because otherwise you're, you, you're going to be in a never-ending cycle of improving, altering. You're I can't trying say improving. to get perfect and it's, nothing can be perfect. Exactly. Yes, I'll, I'll, I can't. And you know what? We all have that same problem with right. you know, confidence at times. Absolutely. It, it's more... It's the human condition for, for me it was perfectionism right it was that notion that there are per- perfect words here and i need to find them and arrange them in a perfect way and obviously that's not right and don't you love this music discussion right, right. yeah no, no. We're, as we want to we're, do we're, we're working our way back there no so in terms so in terms of of music i think of that recording right mm-hmm. the on on an album as being like a book that's in print you have what's considered, in some sense, that is the finite, final version of that medium. Mm-hmm. However, if it's something in print, you have the opportunity to re-release the book. Stephen King did this with... So when he wrote the Dark Tower series, and yes, this is now, now we're veering out of the, <laughs> the music realm. Again. But he wrote, the I think, The Gunslinger in like 1970, and he wrote the fourth book. In, oh, it was late in the 90s or early 2000s. Mm-hmm. A huge gap of time between that. Sure. And so by the time he started to really hit his stride in the final books, four, five, six, and seven, so many new ideas and things came that didn't mm-hmm. jive with the initial one that he almost had to go back and sort of add a couple of things here or there and, and alter it, right? Yeah. And so that's where I think <laughs> of, in terms of the music, which I knew we'd get back there eventually, yeah. um, <laughs> in terms of a song you do the best that you can 
on the album and and remember too there's other constraints there's the odds are you're spending somebody's money in Mm -hmm. a studio somewhere right so it has to be finished it has to reach a point of completion it doesn't necessarily mean that it's finished and so that's where (laughs) what you were saying about like the live recordings i think i agree i think that is the truest form of those songs because now they have an opportunity to play them in a live setting and add something change something Mm -hmm. do something different that, you know, like, uh, again, the Foo Fighters, uh, the first band that come to mind. And the original version of Monkey Wrench, it's just like a straightforward, you know, pop rock song. But right. when they play it live, there's more soloing. There's more extra things that they add in yeah. that I almost can't listen to the, the CD version now because it's missing <laughs> something that yeah, came it's afterwards. Missing, right. The, the real interesting solo that, you know, they couldn't put on the record because you do have time constraints, right. you know, with any... Exactly. Music. So I understand where Jackson's coming from, but mm-hmm. also, again, I think because I have so many live versions or covers that I prefer to the original, I right. can't take that that yeah. same hard yeah. stance. As the saying goes, we'll just agree to disagree on that, right? right? Sorry, Jackson. <laughs> right. But but to, to sort of circle back to the, I'll call it the Diane Warren or the Max mm-hmm. Martin, you know, issue. I think with, with pop music, which is inherently artificial and superficial, mm-hmm. which is fine. I think you can get. I think you can get away with it more, and it's not that. Like again, right? I'm thinking of like, I don't know if she wrote "I'll Be." She wrote a song for Edwin McCain. It was a huge hit. It might have been his second. um, I could not ask for more. But either way, like those songs are sentimental. They're love songs. It's not Mm -hmm. just you know uh, the the bubblegum pop stuff that we were talking about. But for me, there's a huge difference between a song like that that sounds good, that's you know recorded well, and something like Bob Seger, right? Bob Seger, can you imagine someone else writing Turn the Page or uh, Night Moves yeah. for no, him, no. right? Like yeah. that ha- there's, it, what gives those songs their power is, at least in my mind, the authenticity of it. Now, mm-hmm. I'm going to be mortified if I look, I'm going to have to look this up when we're done. <laughs> if it turns See, out that he didn't write he had it. Or, a co-write. <laughs> right. I think we talked about this the last time that um, Glenn Fry. Frey, every time. Glenn Frey and, and anyway. Jackson Brown co-wrote um, Take It Easy. Right. And so there's like, again, this like apocryphal discussion. <clears throat> it wasn't Winslow, Arizona. It was actually this other place in Arizona. It, it's like a melding of, of stuff. So, But Winslow fit. Right. And, so. and that's just it. So it, it, in essence, let's say yeah. it wasn't 100% true for Seeger. That may not matter. I, I think it's his mm-hmm. his take on it. It, it. The song had to come through him to succeed the way that it does. Right. And as we are talking about covers, can you even imagine somebody else working night moves? Or I just, no, that's Bob Seeger's. It's, they are his songs. I can't envision somebody else covering them and doing them true justice because... They were songs from a moment, a moment in our lives. Like the, that was the early to mid seventies. That, that was. That's. I mean, I think you, know. you just hit on the the title of your uh, memoir, right? That what a great what a great sort of phrase there. Um, well, so like a Billy Joel with Piano Man, same thing. I've heard a million people cover it, and all it does is the the close the best ones are just the closest approximation to what he does, and yeah. and the, those ones that succeed just make me think of how great his version is. Cause it's his story. Mm-hmm. Like, like you yeah. said, oh, absolutely. Which, yeah. huh? Perfect segue right to the Americana discussion. <laughs> there you go. So, and we t- we, we already hit Carol King cause can't get more Americana than Carol. No. And, yeah. and it's interesting because I feel like 
each decade obviously has its own influences, mm-hmm. its own cultures that, that surround it. So I just feel like the 50s and 60s for me are sort of like that golden era, not necessarily of the music that came out of it, but mm-hmm. maybe some of the music that looks back on it because it does so with those rose tinted glasses, right? Like, oh, Without a doubt. And yeah. I think that there is, and, and again too, right? Like you're talking about, it's easy to say Americana and assume that's the same experience for everybody. It's not. It, oh, it's not sort of close. like a, a narrow... Even Americana has so many stages, if you will. I mean, going back to the 50s and early 60s, you had doo-wop music. These guys were fantastic, and they didn't use any instruments at all. I mean, my God. I, I obviously have listened to doo-wop extensively in my life. Um, the talent just, it floors you. But um, you move on from there. I mean, and I, I know I turned you on to Kepmo. Yeah. Uh, that's basically from the 2000s. You oh, know? wow. And that's right, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but there's nothing more American than his sound. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And, and But it's very different. <laughs> right. For me, I guess, if I had to define what I think of as Americana, obviously it's going to be reflective of my own experience, right? So I'm thinking sort of like middle class, working class, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> East Coast uh, experience. Mm-hmm. But being able to relate to Midwest Corn Belt sort of uh, uh, experiences, because it's different. It's different culturally. There, you know, there's yeah. Black Americana, you know, Latin music. There, there's so many different things. It's tough to to give a catch-all. So I'm saying, oh, j- course, just to yeah, define yeah. it more, that's yeah. what I think of mm-hmm. in terms of like Pink Houses, right? We It was a song yeah. we discussed a little bit yes. from Mellencamp. Yep, John Mellencamp, yeah. Jack and Diane, you know, and, and I think that's what I love the most about music is the storytelling aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Because... You, I think you just hit it a, a minute ago. Like it captures a moment. It's a moment in time, and it can be more than just like an actual event. You know, like um, yeah, isn't it in American Pie, right? That they talk about the day the music died. Yes, yes, and absolutely. So uh, you know, right? So there's specifics <laughs> like that, but then right. there's also I feel like the best music captures a moment, a feeling. Uh, you know, just yeah. I don't know, and and well, I don't know that that exists as much anymore. Right. And, well, well, now, Americana, I mean, we could trace it, really. You can trace it back basically to gospel because you had gospel and then that became the blues when you had all your field workers and that's really where it started, I guess. Right. But, uh, and it moves on and you, know, you have the Beach Boys. You, you <laughs> there are so many, just so many avenues that it's gone down. And and it transcends too, like, again, transcends cultures, right? Like you look at, again, biased because this is what I know (laughs) the most, but like, you know, in Ireland, music is so important. It's, it's, it's not just the music itself, but it's the storytelling aspect of it, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's so, again, I guess there's identity that's caught up or tied into interwoven, let's say with, within the music itself. And I think that it gives (laughs) people something to identify with, which is. Oh, oh, no, I'm just, you touched on one of my all-time favorite songs in American Pie. I mean, it just, if you listen to that song, it, it just covers so much of our history almost with music. That was such a great song. Yeah, and but, and it's a shame because he had other hits, but it wasn't, but nothing that like Oh, nothing came that anywhere. came close to matching that, yeah. He did have some other 
very good songs, actually. I, I guess if uh, so, I, I got to try to sew these threads back together. So <laughs> what, what I was good luck. when I mentioned the Taylor Swift thing with the kids, it was mm-hmm. because they were setting up a, a playlist for themselves. And so that's something that I'm going to do with them now mm-hmm. uh, over the weekend, rather, is I'm going to come up with different playlists for them of, you know, of all varieties. But right. one of the things that I love is what I think of as like nostalgia songs. Right. So. American Pie, Pink Houses, some of Tom Petty's stuff, most of Tom Petty's stuff, yeah. you know, that um, it just sort of harkens back. I don't know. It gets you right in the, the heartstrings a little bit, you know, and, oh, and and it's funny because for me, I didn't live through, you know, that era. Like, I'm always amazed when someone's like, we're conversing about whatever topic we're, we're discussing and somehow it'll come up and they'll say, oh, yeah, you know, and, uh, when I graduated high school in, in 83 and I was like... <laughs> Shit, I was born in 83. 1983, what was that? <laughs> but but music is one of those great equalizers mm-hmm. because even if I wasn't there, like you... you right, you can experience right. it because it's... When you hear it for the first time, it's fresh right. to you. And even it, though it's a 20-year-old song, I mean, it's still fresh. Exactly, and the meaning... Is is just sort of inherent. I do have to ask though. Eighty three. What tours were you on? And, and there, right? Nineteen eighty three. You know, I was kind of out of the concert. No, nah, I can't say I was out of it at that point. We were still going to Who shows. Eighty three. Did did Robert Plant tour? In I was going to ask if, if Plant. I don't think it was. It might have been eighty three. It could have been eighty four. Once he started a solo career. Well, I think you remember if it was eighty four though, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, 82 was the year I got married. So 83, we were, I guess, starting to nest, if you will. <laughs> but uh, yeah, 1983. Now, so speak- See, the, the 80s were kind of a barren time in music, I, I felt. You know, it was... A, uh, what was the joke? Uh, you know, it's just a flock of seagulls. And- <laughs> right. Well, that, so that was one of the... Uh, that was the zig that I referenced earlier, yeah. was I can't stand the 80s generally in terms of of the musical as a rule it's not my Mm -hmm. there's just not enough to it now that's not to say that i don't like 80s stuff funny enough i've actually i went through a little kick of like this fake synthwave stuff where it was 80 music that was written now Mm -hmm. but inspired by the 80s sound so the synthesizers you know the all, all that fun stuff but just most of the songs that came out then i don't know like i i i feel like there's so much variety in the 60s, and even to a lesser extent, maybe the 70s, if you avoid the disco, you know. Right, if you song. just cut out that kind of three or four years. <laughs> no, the 70s were actually more the early 70s, I'll say. Uh, such a really fantastic period of music. And, I can't, no, and, you know, going back to the 80s, I'm trying to remember exactly when The Wall came out. I don't oh. know if that was like 78. 79 or if it was in the 80s i think it was the late like the end of the 70s okay yeah um, again remember <laughs> no but <laughs> old and dementia is setting in uh, as we speak <laughs> uh, but the music will always be there yeah oh <laughs> I, I i have a song in my head all the time it's, it's the only way to survive <laughs> so well you know got to keep the voices entertained or at least <laughs> exactly. drown them out a little bit no but like it, thinking of the 70s right like bands like america or kansas like mm-hmm. they're 
even if there were similarities in sound somewhat, the output was just so different. Yes, and mm-hmm. being another great band, right? But yeah. then you look at the 80s, and I don't even just mean, like, you know, the glam rock stuff. Like, that's just not yeah. anything that I was interested in. Like, I, and, and to be fair, I can appreciate the musicianship, right? Like, Absolutely. In terms of like, like George Michael's extremely talented, but I had no interest in Wham. Right. That just... It didn't do it for me. Although Careless Whisper, yeah. Careless Whisper <laughs> is... No, I mean, again, it was just, it wasn't, it wasn't my cup of tea, if you will. Right. You know, I, you know, I was still more into your heavy rock and roll. And actually, Deep Purple still, they were touring in the 80s. I know I saw them a few times. Well, right. So that it was a weird time for... 70s bands Mm -hmm. that were sort of riding through heart was one we talked about you know the 80s for bands that are established in the 70s even um uh, judas priest like i don't know like again i feel like with a lot of bands when you look at their catalog things got weird for them in the 80s oh well even into the late 70s it got weird i mean come on the rolling stones did disco music well to be fair they've been around long enough to have done Every kind of music. <laughs> this is true. And they have pretty much. But, and again, not one of my favorites, but talent, you know, it can, you can admire it. Right. It and just... there's certain, so I, it's funny, I have songs that I would say are, are in my list of favorites that are from the 80s. But just mm-hmm. if, if you were to say, pick one decade start to finish that you'd never listen to again. That's the only one that I would even entertain. Yeah. But if, I, I like bands if, like... If you have to not hear music from a decade, which one will it be? Yeah, definitely yeah, the it, 80s. Yeah. You know, I like Foreigner. I like, you know... Oh, there, that's a band. And Bad Company. Bad Company is another yeah. one. Yeah. I, but see, that's the thing. To me, they, they were still rock bands. Like, mm-hmm. you know, feels like the first time... <laughs> um, Jimmy Page toured... As Jimmy Page, you know, right, right, but <laughs> and but, then he had the firm. Jimmy they were the eighties, but yeah, sorry, they didn't quite. Yeah, but I like the ballads, oh, and that's Asia. I forgot Asia. Asia's another like, one. Yeah, Steve Howe. But they were, <laughs> the, but they were seventies and eighties, right? Those they were didn't. I, I don't know. I think Asia was a product of the eighties. Maybe I'm, I'm thinking again, of Toto. I could then. Be mis- no, pardon, Toto. No, Asia just was Steve Howe, Trevor Downs. Right, right, but I'm saying Toto uh, was 70s and 80s. Oh, think, no, Toto, so. definitely 70s, okay. 80s, yes. Toto was around early, yeah. Steve Lukather. And yeah. He's a, I mean, he's a prolific just producer of music, not mm-hmm. necessarily producer And someone producer, who didn't but. get a lot of credit, I felt that he had earned, you know, because they were really good. He, you know, I th- they I've, weren't like your superstars of music but they were they were solid he and he has some weird connection all right so i believe it was beat it from michael jackson that had eddie van halen play the guitar solo but maybe lukather overdubbed it. i don't know there's if you look up beat it it's a weird confluence oh, of there were a lot unbelievable I mean, stars well, yeah he he michael jackson got a lot of people with great talent to work with him on on right. that that was yeah i mean again that's from the 80s <laughs> but he exactly but he's so far off on his own same thing with like Whitney, Whitney Houston um th- there's just so many t- unbelievably talented performers uh from that era mm-hmm. but again I, I think it's more I I'm not necessarily thinking of the, just, the personnel it's it's the music it's a itself. taste right yeah it just wasn't too 
my taste right. or your taste or whatever. Yeah. Again, I, I'm, you know, I love my rock and roll. That's all. And that wasn't rock and roll for the, for the most part. Right. I, I was more, you know, like the ballads, again, from Foreigner <laughs> or what was the other one? Mr. Mr. Broken Wings, right? Like those kinds yeah. of songs I enjoy. But some of the, the power ballad ones, so what was that, like Poison? Yeah. And, and oh, like, yes. That just yeah. never, it, it just <laughs> never clicked with me for some reason. And, and I'm pretty sure we have touched on this before, but you and from the 80s, how they started with a lot of the programmed, you know, Robert Plant was actually in an interview said that, yeah, I got carried away with the, you know, the synthesized drum kit, oh, yeah. you know, like just not real music. But yeah, so in terms of the 80s, that's just the, the only era that I don't resonate with because the the 2000s and, well, I shouldn't say the only, if I had to pick another decade. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> it would be the, the 2010s, so 2010 to, to 2019. There's really not much that came out then that, that mm-hmm. tickled my fancy either. Uh, just odd things here and there. But there's also no cohesive sound, I would say. Okay. That Or, or, or predominant. See, now sound. I can't go with that just because of you know my new musical crush, if you will, you know, Tedeschi Trucks. They were, I think they formed around, I want to say 2012. In that area. That reason? Oh, I didn't realize that. Oh, yeah. They've only been at it for like 10 or 12 years. So what was it? Was it the Derek Trucks band before that? What, what well, no, no. Actually, Susan had her own solo career. And Derek Trucks was kind of busy with the brothers. You know, he was, so he was still with... Oh, he's still... Yeah, he toured with the Allman Brothers band for forever. I know. I thought that he had something... So obviously that's where and I maybe remember he him did, starting. I, I don't know if he started the you know Derek Trucks band or if... Maybe because they were in a relationship that they just said, hey, why don't we do this? And the rest is history, as they say. So what is it about <laughs> that group that makes it your current favorite um, and, or, and, and well, or the, one of your all-time favorites? Yeah, the fact that they're a jam band, yet they also will go into the traditional three to four minute song as well. They cover it all and... and Michael loves his guitars, you know, and Derek Trucks is an absolute master, especially when he's playing slide, slide. guitar. I was just going to say, yeah. oh, the slide yeah. guitar. Uh, on, <laughs> but he is, he's quite a guitarist in his own right without playing slide. I mean, I, I, I even, I told my daughter, I, I said, you need to listen to their version of Layla. Actually, you need to listen to the original version of Layla, too, because the original version of Layla has... One of the most touching piano oh, solos, the outro, oh. the outro, right? The piano outro. Well, Derek does that on a slide in Layla Revisited. Oh wow! And it is every bit as touching. I mean, I, I told her it it almost brings me to tears how good it is. I mean, it's, it's the boy can just play, <laughs> and right, <clears throat> and and you could tell the music is sort of like flowing through him for lack of a better, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, well, I know it sounds kind of trite, but it's, but this is a kid. He's 50, I call him a kid But as a 10 to 12 year old He was playing with B.B. King I mean, he's a prodigy And he's kept at it I mean, I I liken him to, you know, Joe Bonamassa As far as someone that's just mastered the craft of guitar I mean, it might be a meaningless career You know, in the grand scheme of things but, no, it's, but but it's it, extremely entertaining, right? And and there's levels to it. There there mm-hmm. are 
incredibly proficient guitarists, right? Yeah. So you have your, you know, your Nuno Betancourts and mm-hmm. your Eddie Van Halen's Wolfgang right. Van Halen. Satriani. And Satri- and right. Yeah. The, the, yeah. Oh, I think of, of those as like the virtuoso sort mm-hmm. of guitarists, which oh. is... What's, I can't think of his name now. Ingvi- oh, Malmsteen, yeah. Malmsteen, yes. Yeah. Right, I mean, exactly. They're, they're just, right, they're virtuosos. And and it's great. If you're into that mm-hmm. sort of thing, there's a band right. called Dragon Force. It's the same kind of yeah. thing. I'm more intrigued by artists who can sort of make it sing, you know? And, yeah. and that's where yeah. you look at somebody like Jack White. Gary Clark Jr. Oh, is Jack probably... <clears throat> Gary Clark Jr., I think, is the the heir apparent, let's say, for like a B.B. King or, okay. or some of these other guys. Mm-hmm. And But with more of a modern flair. I think right. he's an Austin guy, too. And Austin yes. has yeah, become like is. the epicenter yeah. of, mm, yeah. you know... It seems of, of blues. Great blues players, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, and you mentioned Jack White. Uh, I forget who it was that said... He thought that White Stripes was the Led Zeppelin of the 90s. Yeah, I can you know? see that. And well, Jack, Jack White is just so extremely talented. But now going back to, you know, to Dusky Trucks, um, Susan also is such a great vocalist. I mean, just actually, I think she was born to sing the blues. <laughs> it's kind of sounds silly, but yeah, she, no. but she has a wonderful, wonderful voice. Yeah. No, it's not you silly know. at all. Yeah. Because singing the blues and playing, that's the thing, right? When you're playing the blues on guitar, the way B.B. Mm-hmm. King does or Gary mm-hmm. Clark, it is singing. It's yeah, oh, just oh, not oh, using the voice. Well, uh, now you touch on B.B. Did you know that you will never on any of his recordings, hear him singing whilst playing because he's letting Lucille talk right. when he's playing the guitar. And then he'll, I mean, he might just be strumming, right. but he's not like, yeah, he's not like really getting down and playing the blues when he is singing. He, you know, he'll do the verse and then he'll do a solo. And yeah, that, that was an, and in an interview, he actually did. He was like, "I gotta let Lucille have her say." Yeah, you know, Lucille was his guitar for anyone who is not aware. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's wild too because they sort of lose themselves right mm-hmm. when they're playing, and you can see it. Right. I mean, they're not there. Right. I mean, you just they no. go to that special place, and right, and not counting yeah. psychedelic rock, right? <laughs> no, 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 the, no. The, yeah, the, just this is, you know. This is they feel it. You you that's something that I don't think you can fake. No, and and the closest <laughs> approximation to that in a very different way, almost a more cerebral way, I think, is is jazz, like mm-hmm. hardcore oh, jazz. Yes, you know, yes. Miles Davis, all all these different mm-hmm. uh, artists, especially again, right back yeah. in the fifties, sixties, yeah. who were just it, it, the musicianship is unbelievable, and they get into the pocket, and it's just. A listening experience that transcends yeah. what you're hearing, if, mm-hmm. that, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. Count Basie. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Again, back to Americana. <laughs> I forgot that it was Friday. Speaking oh, of Americana, garbage, the, it's gar- yes. garbage truck. Uh, Ours has already been then gone. Yeah, they, <laughs> they, they get here early for us. But at, at least they didn't take the squeaky truck today. <laughs> but before I forget, one one artist you might want to check out is Aaron Jones. So A Y R O N. I thought you were going to say A A Ron. Aaron. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> he's, he's from Seattle. Okay, Aaron Jones. Aaron Jones. So okay. he's. Some of his stuff, he's an American guitarist. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of his stuff is a little heavier, but it is very blues, spiritually at least, blues-based. And okay. um, he's starting to, to be up and coming. Again, not in the same like Gary Clark Jr. Yeah. sense, 
but mm-hmm. but being from it's interesting to hear his sound being from seattle All right but he connects i don't know just on a on a different level i i, I have a i actually have a gary clark story yeah. <laughs> now a long time ago when obviously a long time ago i was still driving for the limousine service i was requested and picked up a guy quite not a lot but often enough who worked for Island Records, I think it was, at the time. And I, I know he ended up working for a different, couple different companies, and we got into these conversations about you know, music and what we liked. And, and then one day, uh, he, he actually asked me for my address. I got this big package, and it had literally dozens of CDs, and one of them was Gary Clark. It was just like on a small label, before anybody knew who Gary Clark even was. Oh, wow. Yeah, and it was just a live show from Austin, Texas, or one, some city in Texas. And I, I was, like, blown away. I'm like, wow, who is this guy? <laughs> and it was Gary Clark Jr. That's wild. So, yeah, yeah. It's, you know, um, he, the, the gentleman ended up moving out to L.A., you know, again, Island Records, I guess, they moved all their offices out there. Right. So so I don't get to see him anymore. Well, and I don't work anymore either, but that's the story. Right. <laughs> Another day, too. But, yeah, uh, I mean, he turned me on to a lot of really, really obscure music. So, well, so oh, yeah, you couldn't have picked a better segue. So yeah. we, hit, we hit the zig with the 80s. So here's the <laughs> zag that I wanted to, to get into. We've held a, a fairly straightforward, you know, knock in the discussion in terms of the styles of music. That's what I wanted to ask you, though, in terms of the really more obscure things that you might be interested in. So Kepmo is a great example, right? Like uh, <laughs> he's obscure. If, <laughs> where do you fall? Check it out. It's called "Slow Down" by Kebmo. K E B M O. And what's the story behind his name? His real name is Kevin Moore. But somehow it got shortened to Kebmo. And if you just check out Slow Down, you'll be a fan. Yeah. No, it was <laughs> it, it was not what I was expecting from just, you know, the, the when you were speaking about Americana, I guess I had a different mindset okay. for it. Yeah, yeah. And it, then once once I started listening, I got it. I got exactly what you were saying. Yes. And yeah. um, but in terms of other styles of music so say something like reggae or ska or something mm-hmm. something on that is that something that you've ever dabbled in or, or listened to ska a little uh, right i appreciate reggae i mean it sounds kind of weird i guess um coming from you know this head banging old guy but now reggae is absolutely and actually ziggy marley opened for Tedeschi trucks. Oh, that's funny. When I saw them in Connecticut earlier this summer, uh, and yeah, Ziggy's Ziggy can do it, man. <laughs> well, but so again, right? What I love about music is the universality of it. Mm-hmm. It's it's a language unto itself, and we're all just kind of listening to yeah. different dialects, right? And yeah. so reggae for me is similar to the blues or to you know gospel music or, or, or different things where it's about that vibe and that. Go- gospel, I think, is a great way to put it, and it—it's not gospel. I mean, obviously, if you've listened to reggae, but almost every song is about peace, right? Yeah, I mean, they—they, <laughs> and in, yeah, I am a peacenik. I, you know, come on, Marvin Gaye told us a long time ago, you know, war's not the answer. Only love can conquer hate. I mean, such a—it sounds trite. 
but it's it's true. <laughs> no, but but it's it's true. And again, right? I mentioned Irish music before. There's a strong cultural history there of of protest <sighs> music in yes. Ireland. It, and I hear some of that justifiably, in, right? But in, in reggae too, right? Like it's it's a different. It's more about again preaching peace in, mm-hmm. in terms of reggae, preaching peace, and you know upholding the culture. Uh, in, in Ireland, it's tough because it's it's sort of divided, right? So oh, it's of course. it's, a, it's mm-hmm. a much different situation yeah. um, musically, right? Uh, you know, even the Irish step dancing and stuff, right? It's a protest. <laughs> we just yeah. protest everything. That's, that's well, and they do, and and you know. Uh, to this man's way of thinking, they have every right to be upset. You know, give them, give them their damn country back. Right, <laughs> right, and, all of it. And, and musically, oh, sorry, no more politics. Yeah, but no. Well, it's it's funny because I was thinking of that earlier this morning too, right? And how there's sort of a different, just difference in terms of the music from the Republic of Ireland. I don't even really know. I can't think of any music from the North of Ireland. I just sort of yeah. group it in with like England and you mm-hmm. know, which is which is weird because. I don't know if there's necessarily an English sound to me. Oh, the English sound. Look at that. Huh? See? Because <laughs> uh, I thought of like the biggest acts. There are so many that came from from England between the Stones, the Beatles, <laughs> Adele, Oasis. There were all these, yep. you know, oh, unbelievably so selling good. groups. Right. Yeah. But I don't know that there's an identifiable sound in the same way. Like if there's an English sauna, you know, outside of a certain if you stretch had of time. Just pigeonholed it to the 60s yes you had a sound right exactly it was because it was basically pop but i mean it was the beginnings of you know music as we know it today but uh yeah i I, (laughs) and i i I remember the saying if you wanted to hear american blues done bad you just had to go listen to the rolling stones (laughs) that was the early 60s right when they first started because that's they were just absolutely in love with you know the blues and they didn't really know how to play it, but obviously they learned. Yeah, they, right. They figured it out. But <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. England's interesting in the same way that the U.S. is. Where, and, and again, to be fair, right, this is probably any country, any place in the world. But the, the geographical differences lead to changes in sound. Mm-hmm. So, and, and actually, I, I think the phrase that fits best is melting pot. Yeah, because you have so many different influences all coming in together. And even, like I said, in England, how the sound differed, you know, from where, because Birmingham, you had the lower to middle class and you had Black Sabbath with their heavy, heavy, you know, metal. And you had the Yardbirds and Cream. And, you know, when you got down closer to London, so it's a different sound. It's lighter, I guess, but not that it wasn't, you know, heavy. No, but more right, more refined, more, you know, De- refined, urbane. better. Yeah, there you go. Uh, but and and it's interesting too. The further you get out to the countryside, right? Again, like working class people, like mm-hmm. you, you know, Sting grew up in. I think it was like a, a port town, and that influence. It's funny. You don't necessarily hear it in his sound per mm-hmm. se, but it undeniably shaped him as a person and as a musician. As it there, would so. for pretty much anyone. I mean, again. Going back to the blues, these people grew up on cotton farms, and that was the hardest way in the world yeah. to make a living. And you could hear it in their sound. It was, that's the blues. Right. You know you got the blues when you're picking cotton for 14 hours a day. Right. You know? Yeah. And, and I don't know what, what made me think of that in terms of, of England. I guess I'd be curious, too, with Canada, 
because Canada is even more difficult <laughs> hey, to do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. no, you know, Neil Young, you, you've got so many right. different. Yeah, Neil Young. Uh, yeah. But nobody is so. I shouldn't say nobody. <laughs> well, right. So yeah. Rush, I think, is like the quintessential. I think if people think of Canadian music, mm-hmm. it's Rush, it's Nickelback, Brian Adams. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's, there's. And they forget Neil Young is. Canadian, right? Because he really had more fame with Buffalo Springfield and then Crosby Stills, you right? Know? But, um, but none of them, I would say. Oh, that's a Canadian sound. Yeah. You know, Rush and was its own thing. Right, getting back to America too. Yeah, the Beach Boys, surf music. Right. That's the West Coast, right? You know, when you had um, and Jimmy Buffett's uh, the East Coast, <laughs> Bob yeah, o'clock somewhere. Right, well, yeah, he's the keys. Right, <laughs> Jimmy Buffett is yeah, Florida at its best. Well, I, right. I could I could hear some Jimmy Buffett up here. I think oh, it stretches yeah, all the way. Well, hey, we're all parrot heads at some time. Right, right. So I can't imagine not listening to music in the car because to me, a road trip <laughs> in and of itself it, it has its own soundtrack. Always. And I, I mean, mm-hmm. no more indicative of that than like when Heather and I did our first cross-country road trip, we wound up, this was the first time, I'll, I'll backpedal a little bit. So growing up, we never flew anywhere. All of the the, the family vacations that mm-hmm. we took were between yeah. Maine in the Northeast, Pennsylvania in the West, and yeah. as far South as Virginia. So I never even made it to North Carolina, which used to kill me because the landlord's daughter and their family would go to North Carolina every oh. year. She would rub it in like <laughs> uh, incessantly. Yes. Yes. So, And now you know there's really nothing much to see in North Carolina. Well, Except the coast. That, that, that's true. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 95 wasn't uh, no. terribly great. But yeah. we, um, you know, so in, in 05, we finally, we graduated. I, that was my first time going to Florida, Disney, all that mm-hmm. stuff or whatever. Yeah. But all it did was just stoke that wanderlust that I've always had right. to go cross country. And it was, I mean, you've done it. So, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, for me, it was a spiritual experience going first of all just getting to ohio which i can't think of many people that have (laughs) said that in such a phrase but Um, but no but the reason but the reason why was like i finally felt like the west was open to me right like this frontier that i had always dreamed of right because you saw all the movies with the wagon trains going west and yeah no i i i i get that yeah and our our wagon train was a seafoam blue toyota echo which (laughs) seafoam blue seriously seafoam green i get because you know seafoam is green but the blue i don't get it but anyway well you didn't go to the islands where the water is blue but the water yeah the (laughs) sea water blue works but seafoam yeah but the foam uh, okay yeah (laughs) But we we can agree to disagree. No. Uh, So for me, I remember, you know, the agrarian expanse, like uh, most people complain about flyover country. And Mm -hmm. at least the first time I drove Well, there is a reason you fly over them. Yeah. Because there's really not much to see. No, but there was. But But it's different. No, no, no. I absolutely get it. Yeah. Because it is. It's it's America. But (laughs) it, it, it was that and also the fact that I grew up in... Brooklyn. So your asshole to elbow with people mm-hmm. and buildings and everything, yeah. there's no open space, which yeah. th- as an asterisk, big sky country really is big sky country. Mm-hmm. Montana, Wyoming, oh. I'll never forget. I have not been to either, but yeah, I can imagine. It's, yeah. And, and well, that's just it. I thought I could too until you're actually until you're there. there. And, you, yeah. and oh, it's just, it's such an unbelievable experience. And to a lesser extent, the agrarian, you know, expanses, again, uh, Ohio, Indiana, Illinois, mm-hmm. definitely Iowa, and then Nebraska. Yes, it does get <laughs> repetitive and boring, but it's also like, it's just amazed me that you could see as far as you could. But in terms yeah. of the, the soundtrack, which was, again... But more, Kansas, more, just oh, can- nothing but undulating 
Yeah. Moguls, not hills. They're just too small to be a hill. And it just goes on so, and on. So funny. We and on. The only time. Yeah, once yeah I was just going to say. <laughs> um, we got into Kansas right around evening. And all I saw was these tumultuous, horrific thunderclouds that I have never seen before. We stop at the Ooh. the first rest area and <laughs> everyone's freaking out because there's all sorts of tornado warnings <laughs> yeah. and stuff. So that was my experience driving through, quote unquote, right. Kansas. Because we got to Topeka. Yeah, you got to Kansas and it was 1954 again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Elmira Gulch comes, uh, wasn't passed on our bike, uh, her, her e-bike, right? <laughs> Updated for the times. But but no, so I didn't really get, the, so my experience was more, you know, sphincter. Uh, tightening, sight, yes. Yeah, tightening. <laughs> In Kansas than uh, than anything else, but I, but I get it, and and so for me, Nebraska was an unexpected great part of that cross country trip that we took previously because mm-hmm. it starts out the same in the east, uh, you know, as all farmland, right. but mm-hmm. when you hit uh, the the offshoot for seventy six. It's suddenly there's these hillocks and, you know, just boulders and things that are coming out of nowhere. And then all of a sudden you get to this point where you can see the Rockies come over the the horizon. And it was just, again, a really amazing experience. And so when Heather and I went, we stopped at uh, the Buffalo Bill grave site. And in the gift shop, they had these CDs and it was it was Desert Guitar was the name of it. So it was a combination (laughs) of nature sounds with acoustic guitar Mm -hmm. instrumentation. And when I, I I got it. We were in Colorado for another day or two, and then we were continuing right. west. So I threw it in once we got into Utah, and holy shit, it couldn't have been a better backdrop, <laughs> sonic backdrop for what we saw for Utah. Huh? Yeah, no, it was, and, but but that stayed with me because then when I started to ride the lion in the desert, and mm-hmm. I got to those sections in the aforementioned desert, yeah. I needed something to kind of like channel that. And so I threw that CD on. Uh, and even though it conjured, you know, memories and images from the road trip, it, it helped to sort of set the stage and set that environment. But I, I can't imagine being on a road trip and not listening to music, not having something. I mean, there are absolutely. people out there that do sports radio or I don't mm-hmm. know what they listen to. But. No, well, oddly enough, I drive a car that has no radio right now because for whatever reason, people like the antenna to oh. a 2006 Hyundai Tiburon. Oh, man. We had three just broken off and stolen, and there's no point in replacing it, I guess. Right. I mean, I have a CD player, so I listen to what I want to. Right. But again, I'm in the car for five to ten minutes, so I don't, I just drive in silence. But anytime we, my wife and I take trips, yeah, you know, Adele is big and because that's something both we can both agree on. <laughs> you know, so my wife doesn't really like my music much. No, but listen, Adele. It's funny. I just had her on. I was coming back from one of the basketball things with mm-hmm. the kids, and I think they were confused because they were like, "Really, like Adele? Why, why are you putting yeah. that on?" But I have mm-hmm. such an extensive digital collection of music. It was just a was the first letter, obviously, that popped up, there and I go. said, "Bam, that's it. I'm I'm mm-hmm. I'm going for it." I'm but good. like, but I love. I just love the idea of having music. Like, again, if we're, no, if no, we're driving... Music is the backdrop, backdrop of life. Yeah. Say your words, Michael. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I mean, I, I said it before. I always have some song banging around in my brain. It just, you know, it's, it's just, that's life. Yeah, yeah. And, and I'm excited for, you know, Tim, who's starting high school, not this September, but the following September, because we, we were having a discussion uh, in the pool one night. Mm-hmm. We were doing a, like a night swim kind of thing. And I tried to explain to him 
how I'm trying to think of the way I worded it, that high school with any luck will be the best four years of his life mm-hmm. so far. Right. But if he lives his life correctly, they won't be the best four years of his oh, life. Oh no, but they'll be the best at the time. Right. And, it, and he has to remember <clears throat> the first couple weeks might be tough adjusting to high school because it really is kind of like a culture shock. Yeah. And, I and, mean, but music has a lot to do with it too. And that, that's, that's what I was getting at in terms of the mm-hmm. high school part. Like I feel like every, and, and I don't know if this is just an American thing or not, but I feel like every kid has some sort of music that they connect with that mm-hmm. they, you know, use as an outlet an emotional, yeah. you know, just again, outlet for, all the angst and all the stuff that you go through as a teenager. Yeah. And it'll be interesting to see with him what happens. Cause his age group here in town, they, they just listen to like the modern popular rap stuff and it's, <laughs> you know, whatever it is what it is. I'm, I'm not judging anybody for what they listen to, right. but there's stuff that you listen to because you like it and stuff that you listen to because everybody. Does. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know. So you don't have a choice because no. that's what everybody's playing. Yeah. His, his Tim's favorite song is Baker street. I mean, that says a lot about like number one, all time favorite song, Jerry Rafferty. Jer- right? I was gonna, uh, Jerry Rafferty. Wow. Where did that come from? Exactly. Well, it came, it came from <laughs> funny enough. It all, see, look, it all ties together. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So gra- the grand theft auto video game, See, you know, See I wouldn't understand that because I've never been a video game kind of guy. Right. And and for GTA, the GTA series specifically, <laughs> you know, it gets, it, it's... Now, my son would get that reference. Right. right. But, it's yeah. it's viewed harshly because, uh, you know, it's inherently violent. It's, it's mm-hmm. no different than watching a movie, really, in terms of, like, <laughs> you know, the, the violence and stuff. You're just in control of it. But right. one of the things that I love, and I'm definitely in a minority uh, here, is, you know, you can get in a vehicle... That you could either purchase or steal. That's yeah. you know neither here nor there. But there's actual music. There there are radio DJs. You know, it, and mm-hmm. if I wanted to, I can in the the context of the game, fly over. You know, to shoot over mm-hmm. to the the Polito Bay. You know, highway mm-hmm. and just listen to these songs. And they have classic rock stations. They yeah. have all different kinds of things. And so for him, because that's what I gravitated towards when I was playing the game, and he would. Mm-hmm. you know, hang out and, and yeah. watch it. He started to to like a lot of that stuff too. The cult, right. uh, just again, cult. Wow, just yes. random one-off <laughs> songs that were cultivated for mm-hmm. these playlists. Yeah. And, you know, uh, is it Greg Kine or Greg Kin, the Greg Kin band? I'm Greg Kin. Greg Kin, yeah. yeah. So, so there was a song yeah. from him. There was another, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Alan Parsons Project. Like oh, Alan Parsons Project. And, wow, now you're getting... That somewhat obscure, yeah. You know, and and Tim really... knows all he knows wow. songs from all these groups because of the game, you yeah. know. And, and not that I'm trying to say that that offsets any of the you know psychological harms. <laughs> I guess we'll find out. Uh, come on, when we were younger, parents, you know, with a little boy, we were adamant that no guns. Well, he would pick up a stick, and it was a, a gun. gun. Right. So it's just. Inherent in the nature, I guess. Right. That, that's what kids are going to do. You know? Right. And I think it depends. Doesn't make on, it bad. Just no. And know. it's also active parenting, right? Like as uh, long as you explain, you know, the difference. Exactly. And 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 monitoring too, right? Oh, like, absolutely. Sure. Th- there was a stretch where he was playing it a little too frequently. Mm. That you know, a couple of years ago, and and Heather and I weren't as comfortable with like some of the things he was saying or whatever. You know, like sure. And so, but but it, it yeah. turned into Again. a discussion, yeah. and you know, yep, yes, yeah. uh, right. It's right called parenting, right? And. <laughs> More people need to do <laughs> a lot more of that, you know, just because 
we're responsible for these little people, you know, that, that we're raising. And yeah. Yeah. And, and for me, music has been such an important part of parenting. I remember when Heather was pregnant with Tim, I played on guitar. I think I played three or three or 400 different songs while she was pregnant with him because they said, Mm -hmm. Oh, music, you know, music is good for the baby. And Mm -hmm. later on, especially the final, you know, I'd say two months, she said that she could feel a difference. Like he's, you know, Sorry, yeah. swimming around, I guess. I don't know. Oh, well, yeah. Well, the final two months, they do a lot of that anyway. Maybe he was covering his we, ears, actually, right? We were, no, it could be. We were joking about that, you know, again, with my daughter, you know. Um, Roxanne would say, like, when she like, seven and eight months pregnant, she could actually see, like, an arm butting out of her stomach and, you know, or an elbow or a knee. It's like, well, the baby's moving. I'm like, holy crap. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, it was... It, the, the day before he was born, mm. the, the night before he was born, yeah. so literally hours, uh, it was the same thing. And yeah. Heather was pointing out, she's like, oh, that's an elbow. And I'm looking at it, and I'm like, <laughs> is, like <clears throat> I've yeah. watched, put it this way, I've watched too much sci-fi, especially Outer Limits, <laughs> not to have been concerned that that elbow wasn't actually a tail yeah. or, you know. But it, oh, it's, wow, just thinking back on it, it's such a spiritual experience. I mean, that, that's your child. <laughs> it's like, holy crap. Well, I felt that way once I saw him in his human form, yeah, but, which was well, still in the belly. Or, yeah, I could get the concern, but yeah. but it was great. And I remember too, like at oh, one point, no. it, it was either his butt or his back. Like all of a sudden, I was just like, "Holy shit!" Like he needs a little more room in there. Yeah. Was, well, and again, Heather's very small as well. Like, you know, Roxanne's just tiny woman, and like. How the hell is the room for that kid in there? You know? (laughs) Well, so it was funny because when, I don't remember what visit it was, but somewhere along the way, the pediatrician asked, uh, not the pediatrician, the the obstetrician Mm -hmm. asked what our birth weights were. And I said, six pounds, nine ounces. And he goes, oh, oh, that's the perfect weight. And so Heather and I have this thing where it's just, it's, it's always like, I always wind up one-upping her unintentionally. Like <laughs> I believe her blood type is a B positive okay. or B plus. Mm-hmm. Mine's an A positive. Yeah, a plus. Uh, so it's, it's just oh, always geez. been that kind of shit. Oh, it's, it's, it's hilarious. So, uh, then, so she was six pounds, 10 ounces as a oh, baby. So she was, not only was she bigger, but he said something to the effect of like, yeah, you know, we just don't want it to be any bigger than that or something. And I was, done so for years i lorded that over her i was like you were a giant baby is what he was trying to say like you know they were gonna have to cut you out with the jaws of life what else was all the difference huh okay tim comes out (laughs) six pounds 9.9 ounces oh and i was like oh it was it was meant to be yeah but then jackson was seven pounds seven ounces he was a that's huge he was a a human just Mm -hmm. it was crazy yeah um, and then Sarah was five pounds, 13 ounces, the tiniest baby that I've, I've held. Right. And now you look at the three of them and they're all, yeah. they, they all leveled out more or less. Mm, so, absolutely. Yeah. But, um, no. yeah. No, so the, <laughs> if the doctor had asked, how much did you weigh when you were born? I'm like, how do I know? I was a baby. Right. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah. I don't, it's, it's funny you say that. I don't know why I know yeah, that, I, like I the birth no time clue. and all that. I have so. no clue. Yeah. That's, and uh, unfortunately, I, don't have a parent to ask. Right. Yeah, I can't. I can't think of. And even if they were here, they probably wouldn't know because they'd be in their nineties. Well, I was going to say, yeah. If, if you got an answer, I don't even know if you'd really, you know, want yeah. to be able to believe it. Yeah, exactly. Um, but the, again, getting back to you know the soundtrack of, I guess your life. You, when you take them trips, you got to have 
<laughs> and and you you've traveled much more extensively by auto than I ever did. I mean, I had some pretty interesting car rides, but I haven't covered the whole country, you know, like that. Um, yeah, I, music is just a part of life, and you know, I think it's one of the best parts of life. Oh, absolutely, without a doubt. Oh, well, come on, John Miles. <laughs> yeah, you know, the song is titled "Music." You know, but first love, and it'll be your last. Yeah. Uh, And I would say of all of the musical discussions we've had or all Mm -hmm. of the music that you turned me on to, that's by far the best. I don't think anything can top that. I'm glad you you think that way because it it really is a rather obscure CD and... Which is what makes it all the more special, you know, for me anyway. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and I honestly do not know anyone else that (laughs) has or has listened to that entire CD and... It, it does. It means a lot to me, that CD, because A, the first song, music, and and also the last song, because they do. But, uh, you know, when you lose someone so young, I, because I lost my brother at 18, and, you know, it's something that I still think about. And it is, let's see, that was 1978, so we're, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, but that's the power of music, right, is that mm-hmm. it can give you... It can help with the the grief and the sorrow. It can also uplift you. You know, it depends. It's mm-hmm. it's, and that's what I love about music too. Is you can listen to the same song in two different days and have different responses to it, oh, yeah, or, yeah. or yeah. whatever. And and that's, I don't know. I think that's, it's it's obviously not innately human, right? Because you have birds that sing like they're oh. you know di- different yeah different animals well, but you know you could it's, right. It's a form of communication. You know, uh, for in the bird. You know, world. Yeah, but even for us too. I, th- I think that's. I was gonna oh. go in the other direction, but mm-hmm. I actually, I'll come off of that because I think it is a form of communication. We're oh, communicating. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's through, and and this is a big thing for me, right? Like I, I don't know. I've always had this innate need, not even a drive or a desire, but an innate need to express myself creatively, and music helps okay. with that. Writing, like I'm not a good poet, but. You know, occasionally I'll write something that (laughs) poetry wise, I I think that, I mean, that's a whole separate topic because to me, poetry and music go hand in hand. I haven't written in years, but when I was younger, I did. I did write quite a bit. Yeah. And 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 I still have some of them somewhere and, you know, like, you should do this more. Like, sorry, I moved on. Well, (laughs) that's just it. The the best poems, and and I I say the best, that's not, you know, that's putting it loosely in terms of uh, my poetry output, but there's something about a poem where I just, it's the same as a song, you know, like Mm -hmm. my job, my my writing philosophy, if I've never mentioned this is, or I did reference it earlier, but I never expressed it explicitly, is I feel like whatever I'm writing, whether it's fiction, you know, a, no- a, a 110,000 word novel or a poem <laughs> or nonfiction, there are perfect words. And, and it's my job as a writer to find those perfect words and to arrange them in the perfect order. Now, that rarely happens, but it has <laughs> happened before. It's kind of impossible well, to do perfect all the time. I mean, but, yeah. But there are times. Oh, and, no. It's impossible to do perfect. Period. Stop. I mean, you can. Approach perfection. I so from okay. a conscious standpoint, I will concede that because any times, <laughs> any time that I've tried to do perfect, mm-hmm. I could. Usually, when you screw up more, however, you have to kind of. I have had moments, especially recently with with this one poem, mm-hmm. where 
like I was in a dead sleep. And I woke up. It was funny. I looked like uh, uh, Frankenstein's monster, <laughs> jolting awake. I woke up from a dead sleep and mm-hmm. went, "Oh shit!" Like, and you I, have to write it down right I, then because I, if you don't, you lose it. I yeah. had oh, the iPad on the floor. Yeah. I had the iPad on the floor for that exact reason, <laughs> and my thumbs start flying. And again, in terms of perfection, I would never say that this is a great poem or mm-hmm. whatever. What it was though and what it wound up being it was caught your per- feeling at that time the, it was the perfect expression of what i was trying to convey okay and that's what i meant in terms of right. achieving perfection okay i didn't write that right that i was a conduit for this these words that mm. came through me and yeah. captured exactly to a t what i was feeling thinking what i wanted yep. to, to go through and and again it's happened occasionally with writing and the difference with um novel writing it's it's it may be one sentence in an entire section, <laughs> but I like I just get yeah. the same feeling now, mm-hmm. twenty years after I wrote it, of yeah, this was great. That, right, I, and, I I really captured that at right. that time. Yeah, and, no, and that I, I agree in with poetry in that it captures the absolute essence of what you were thinking, feeling at that particular moment in time. Right, and so, the, yeah. the the thing with a poem too is there, there's two other aspects of it. One is it's even more imperative because of the inherent and there are poems that are exceedingly long, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. paradise lost is a poem, (laughs) Uh, you know, the the Trinity of poems, I'm blanking on it, the divine comedy. There we go. From Dante. The 119th Psalm. Right. Right. So there, there are poems that are excessively Mm -hmm. inherently long, but by, by their nature here, typical poems are shorter. And so the word choice becomes even more paramount, even more Mm -hmm. important. And that's where the connection to me is with music and song, because nobody wants to listen to a 45 minute long song. Like it's, it's just not, I shouldn't say nobody, but it ain't getting on the radio. Oh no, no. no. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Right. You can't put that on a radio. Well, uh, 1969, they, yeah, they did. <laughs> right, there's pirate radio. Like people yeah. can, can do oh, that. No, but even same. you know, like CBS, um, WNEW would play the whole album side, and oh. you know. But, well, that's fair, right? So if you want to think, and that's of it not that 45 way. minutes, mind you, but it's no, but pretty it, close. And, but and, and I've heard Inagata Devita played in its entirety on on the air, and that's. I don't know how long. But. That that's a great separate uh, <laughs> deep dive into conspiracy theories and stuff. The the, the background of that song and mm-hmm. the guy's involvement with like the Manhattan Project yeah. or something. It was it was crazy. But what I love yeah. about song lyrics is is it has to come to an end, right? With the story, mm-hmm. you can uh, you know I mean how many different uh, I can't think of any series off the top of my head, but I mean there are some you know lines of books that are still ongoing decades in, right? Yeah. It's the same story that's still perpetuating. Poems, they have to end. Like, right, they, it, right. And, they're finite. Right, yeah, and so yeah. the, the meaning comes as much, but with a poem, and, and again, this is that, that overlap with music and song lyrics, mm-hmm. the poem doesn't just get, it doesn't get its meaning from only the words, right? It's also the delivery. It's if I were to write, if I were to show you that poem that I mm-hmm. wrote and just slap it on a piece of paper and, and hand it to you, you're going to get the general meaning of it, but you're going to lose so much of the real meaning because that comes in the cadence, the pauses, the breaths, mm-hmm. all yeah. those things that are static and dead on a page. And mm-hmm. so in the same way as with a song, like that's what really brings the lyrics to life. It's, it's the performance. It's oh, absolutely. You know, the no, context no, it, with the music. Yeah. yeah it, it applies in all areas. I mean, if you're delivering a speech for whatever subject, if you're doing a eulogy, 
it's the inflection that you'll use at a certain time. And, and no, no, no. I, yeah, delivery is half the game. Right. And I think that it's not native to every style of writing, like you said. Like, mm-hmm. you know, obviously anything that's uh, that's oral, like, you know, again, nonfiction or speech or eulogy or whatever, like yeah. that definitely comes into play. But I, I guess for me, the top tier would be, you know, poetry and, and song lyrics just because there's extra meaning. So when you're giving a eulogy or a speech, the meaning is usually concrete. Yeah. It's you're talking about a specific topic mm-hmm. or, or whatever. But with yeah. music especially, the meaning can be different for different people. We, we had that discussion oh, the last oh, time. Absolutely, about yeah, right. Because yeah, a song that means the world to me might mean Jack to you. Right. Just, yeah, no, of course. I mean, for a while, Jack Jack is the world for me. Which, <laughs> yeah, which is, uh, I Mr. can get Mr. That. Daniels. Yeah, um, and Jackson. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you can hear that song on another day when you're in a different place, and then you might understand what I was saying that particular time. Right. I mean, music, it, it the eye of the beholder, if you will. I don't. Yeah. I don't know. It, it's. It, it's. I, I think it evolves you, along with yeah, us. Yes. Yes. Oh, absolutely. And and when you hear it, or how you hear it. You know, are you receptive? Are you just kind of in your own world at that time? It, but but it's interesting too. There is a an astrophysicist named Neil deGrasse Tyson, and I'm going to butcher his. Yes, I know him. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to butcher this quotation. But but somebody asked him once why he doesn't have any tattoos, and the the general you know thrust of what he was saying was there's nothing that I'm so confident of now in my life that I expect it will continue <laughs> to bring me happiness 20 years from now. And again, completely butchered the quotation, but the spirit of it is there in the oh, sense absolutely. that like, uh, yeah, there, there could be a song that you have with somebody that makes mm-hmm. you think of that person. And then there's maybe comes a point in your life where you don't <laughs> want to think about that person or it hurts to think about that person. You hear this all the time about how the, you know, somebody went and got the tattoo of, you know, Tammy on his arm because, oh, that's his love. And, you know, then he married somebody named Janet and like, uh uh-oh. Right, right. Uh, (laughs) Exactly. What's that? Yeah, you've got to get it changed. No, but, but, you know, uh, just to be argumentative, um, I, I I could disagree in that I can't imagine ever not being so totally enamored of my children that I would regret having a tattoo of either one of them on my body somewhere. Although I don't, I never have and never will get a tattoo. Well, it's, it's funny. Yeah. That's not really being argumentative because that was the conclusion that I drew too. Uh, when, when I was thinking of, right. I said, I'm not an absolute guy. Mm-hmm. I don't like yeah. always. Yeah, I, never. Right. I never hate, I, 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 yeah, I do not like absolutes at all. Yeah, right. And so the, my yeah. immediate reaction to that was mm-hmm. thinking, well, there's gotta be something. And, right. you know, again, right. Like some people get the, the tattoo of their kids' names, God forbid, mm-hmm. you know, there, there's a loss of a child or something, mm-hmm. yeah. you know. I, well, that would make it all the more poignant. That that's what I was going to say. Sure. I think people, exactly. Yeah. I, I think so. it just changes the, the meaning of it mm-hmm. at that, that point. Yeah. I guess uh, to, to close out, one of the things that <laughs> I'm most excited about with my kids is seeing their own individual musical journeys because mm-hmm. they are interested in such a broad swath of music, even more than I was at their age. Yeah. And... Jackson, you know, for, for his birthday, a friend just got him uh, his first piece of sheet music oh. to try to learn because he's been teaching himself stuff on the piano. And oh, so, so she, cool. Yeah. She, so she had said, yeah. like, here, I'm, I'm going to get this for you now. Mm-hmm. I know, you know, it's going to take you a while to learn it, but then someday you'll play it. I hope you learn sure. it and play it. Right. Which I thought yeah. was super cool. That is um, awesome. 
And so he's taking to music and... Exp- so he's he's a real womanizer, huh? <laughs> it's Jackson. Good boy at nine. <laughs> oh. Well, it was... It he's was, got women giving him sheet music already. And it was funny because uh, the, the same friend had sent a, a birthday message for Sarah. And I mentioned that to Jackson. And I said, oh, you know, she'll probably send one. She had sent it to me via text mm-hmm. to, to share with, right. with uh, the kids. And so I made the mistake of telling him, I said, oh, yeah, you know, like, you'll, I'm sure she'll send one for you, too. And he got quiet for a second. And he's like, well, you know, Dad, if if you want, you can just give her my watch number and then she can send it straight to me. And I said, I was like, all right, easy there, Tiger. Like, uh, yeah, down, boy. Yeah. So that, that was kind of funny. But um, no, but he loves to engage with music more than any of mm-hmm. the, uh, uh, of either Tim or Sarah. Right. So it's funny. Tim is definitely the music appreciator. I don't think he'll ever... Right. Get involved with playing Sounds it. Sounds like me. Right. I love music, but I can't play a lick. Sarah plays... I can't sing a lick either. <laughs> no. I, I, th- I think you've got that uh, that down. And and that's what... I hope that they get into singing, at mm-hmm. least Sarah and Jackson, because right. I'll hear them, but they, they haven't really like gone to it. But mm-hmm. the, the, the seeds are there. And it's one of those things, just like with basketball sure. or, or sports, yep. uh, it's nothing I wanted to lead them towards. But I'm excited to, you know, accompany them on their own journey if they get mm-hmm. there themselves. Yeah. And, you know, musically, it's exciting for me to see how creative Jackson is specifically, which now I just remembered yet another story I'll have to tell you when we finish up. <laughs> Again, off the air. Sorry, uh, folks. <laughs> uh, that, that one I'll have to get something on the phone uh, to, to show you because it was it's something. Um, but he's been on an artistic kick lately where he's doing a lot of drawing. And, and uh, again, uh, that's what I would very, consider that's self-expression. so cool. Yeah. Yeah. And not just and, the to draw mm-hmm. all parents feel that way that's just like you just want to i shouldn't say all parents because yeah <laughs> generalizing but yeah no uh, as a parent that's you just wanted them to express themselves in a way that made them happy right and, sa- know, and, and and if he's going that way artistically that's just too cool yeah and sarah is finally yeah. getting into fashion and you know which, which well. th- again that's a whole separate <laughs> no 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 it, it, it's it's important to me because one of the things that of i've course. been really concerned about with her just in the society and mm-hmm. specifically the town that we live in yeah. is making sure that she maintains a positive body image and she doesn't mm-hmm. go through a lot of the stuff that girls her age do and and it takes a lot of work that's of so preempting because yeah. it it's something that is maybe not totally out of your control, but so much out of your control that, you know, because it's her mind, you right. know, and, and you, yeah, exactly. And so all we can be is supportive and positive. And, as, yeah. as much as yeah. I goof where, you know, I, I talk about when, when she starts bringing boys home that I'll be here cleaning the shotgun on the table and, <laughs> yeah. oh, you know, yeah. pointing out <clears throat> you know, how Five long it page act- questionnaire before you can even Come to the door. <laughs> let, let them know how long it actually takes a human hand to dissolve in a, a vat of acid. You know, those, those types of things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If I, if, if I remember them days. Right. If I'm being honest with myself, right, if I do my job as a father correctly, mm. she will respect herself enough, hopefully, to make better choices. But they're her choices to make, largely. And then clearly there's mm-hmm. there, there are rooms where dad, instances where dad's going to have to step in. The mindset that I was taking with... Um, yeah with the body image stuff and, and self-confidence, I figured to be more proactive and preemptive was better. And so, you know, I've, it's, it's funny. I don't, 
I'm only now myself getting into fashion and stuff. Uh, it's it's again part of like a big evolution, you know, for myself. Which what's, is what's fashion, right? Right. <laughs> I but, don't know. But I've always had an eye for picking things out for other people, and so mm-hmm. for Sarah, like it's something that we've <laughs> loosely explored together. Yeah. But I could see she was reticent to wear something that maybe revealed a little bit of her her you know stomach or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and that, that odd that you would mention that because. My you love daughter, wearing belly shirts? Oh, no, 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 no. My daughter used to love the clothes that I would pick out for my wife. Oh. And my wife would routinely return anything that I bought because she didn't like it. That's but my funny. daughter would be like, Mom, that's gorgeous. That, uh, that's perfect. Nope. Not, not nope. a fan of it? No, 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 no. My wife didn't like my taste in clothes much. That's funny. <laughs> well, and, and I mean, there's all... Hey. She liked me. It's in the, that was enough. It's in the eye of the boulder. But but with Sarah, it was more, you know, making sure that she was comfortable and confident mm-hmm. in, in whatever yeah. she had. And oh, so yeah. for her, so her self-expression <laughs> now of late is less musically inclined and more, you know, with, with clothing with, and stuff sure. like that, which is fine. She's well, 11, so, yeah. you know. Oh, no, no, that... <clears throat> perfectly normal and yeah. yeah or or she's one team that's Some, how i describe it because she's one a little team. bit ahead it's, it's she's a she's a tween now yes so oh. such a fun time yeah but <laughs> and so it's cool for me to see them express themselves mm-hmm. and to appreciate it and and it's yeah. exciting too because you know in terms of the age spectrum right yeah. like I love that you and I can have these musical discussions and, and see the appreciation that you have and have always had for it. Mm-hmm. And to see them be at the start of their journey is kind of, not that you're at and the to, end of yours. That got morbid really quick. No, I didn't take it that way. <laughs> yeah. and, to, and to see that they actually have some of the same opinions yeah. that we have expressed. That's, that's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, although you just made me think about, now this is going way, way back. Um, I can remember when my daughter was, I want to say five, might have been six, and my wife would put clothes on her bed for school for the next day, and the hands on the hip, I'm not wearing that. Oh, boy. (laughs) So it starts early, and now your daughter's into fashion, so (laughs) I can see her and Heather butting heads about what will be appropriate to wear at times. It was good for for Sarah, though, because (laughs) she... We had her do, it's called Reach Your Potential Training, RIPT, R-Y-P-T. Ah, okay. And it was uh, it was a fitness program, strength, mm-hmm. conditioning, all that. Yeah. And she loved it, had oh. a physical transformation, oh, but also, cool. more importantly, a self-confidence transformation. Mm-hmm. That's and I th- the most important part. And I think that, in part, is what led her to be a little more adventurous, let's say, with, with, you fashion. Know, with, with sure. what she was saying. Because she felt good. Yeah. And I, honestly, I can attest to it myself. So That's half the battle right there, as long as you know she's comfortable with herself. Right. And that's, and you know, we, we've had full we, game over, really. <laughs> we haven't had this discussion at length yet, but mm-hmm. like there were times when she was younger, maybe seven or eight, and we'd be out at the mall and we would see these girls with their butt cheeks hanging out. <laughs> and she would say, like, she would make a comment about it. Mm-hmm. Like, well, I, I don't understand why they would do that. And so yeah. it was a discussion about mm-hmm. self-respect and what the attention you're, you're drawing intentionally yep. and unintentionally. And how yep. do you handle that? You know, mm-hmm. if you're not mature enough to understand the, the full scope of what you're doing. Yeah. You probably should shouldn't be doing, be doing it. it. So, no, abs- you know. I, abs- I couldn't agree more on that because it's, yeah. Well, <laughs> I, although Mike, I got to censor you, myself. <laughs> the, the Daisy Dukes you're wearing today—they really, they do highlight those cheeks quite nicely. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> oh man, you I, like cottage cheese. <laughs> 
and that, I mean, that's a wrap. That's yeah, there's yeah. no better. What else there's is no better there to place say? to leave. So, uh, Mike, this is always a pleasure. This, uh, oh, my pleasure entirely. I I enjoy these talks so much. I can't even express it. It's yeah. It, it just I leave feeling so uplifted and, and yeah, ready for the day. Same. Yeah, no, this was great. And, and I appreciate you coming back. I know, you know, three times in the summer, that's a lot of, of me to take from, uh, from people who, you know, don't live here. So well, I appreciate that. Goes both ways. Yeah. I'm better in small doses. Oh, yeah, you know what? Make sure, uh, I was going to say, make sure right into some banana cream. Bye. There you go. Oh, man. And we won't discuss that that's, either. Well, thank, thank you to Mike English for completing the, uh, the musical trifecta. We, we definitely zigged and zagged today. So mission accomplished. There you go. My and, pleasure uh, again. I'm, I'm sure there'll be more in the future, but I appreciate, uh, you know, especially with the change in season and going back to school and everything. I think it was a perfect oh, time. Oh, thanks. Ruined my day. To do this. That's it. Next Thursday. I'll see you all, guys. Uh, that's it. I know. Back to, uh, countdown days already uh, but uh but thank you to my friend mike english for coming and <laughs> hanging out and thank you to everybody listening wherever and whenever you are 